You're listening to For the Readers, a podcast to invest in all those readers of Scripture proclaiming the gospel in their faith communities. Each week, we read the gospel text as set out by the Revised Common Lectionary and then offer what may be beneficial and formational for the reader, covering such things as aid in pronunciation, an exploration of context connections and curiosities within the reading, consideration of the passage's emotional tone, and how this specific text may be read well and thus heard in a life-giving way, offering one of many possibilities of what may be essential in the text, and then finally closing with a prayer, poem, or some other piece that emerges in connection with our gospel reading. All this to offer greater familiarity and a deeper interconnection with the scripture, which can then become a fertile ground for the Spirit to be transforming the reader and thus their community further into Christ-likeness. May Christ be formed in us. For the third Sunday of Ordinary Time, June 25th, 2023. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said to the twelve apostles, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. I thought we could start today considering one of the lesser exciting parts of being a lector or a reader of the gospel and scriptures in our faith communities. And that is thinking about how long it takes us to become comfortable reading the text. How many times rehearsing, how many times reading the text does it take us to be comfortable reading the text so that when we read the text in front of our community, we can read it in ways that are aware of how all of the the sentences and the ideas are fitting together. So, uh, So, for me, 
Today's text took about five readings before I was ready for how everything was flowing in and out of each other to be comfortable recording it for you all. And again, this is admittedly one of the less exciting parts, but it is one of those essential practices. Uh, Like with the sports metaphor, it's like learning to do things with your non-dominant hand. It changes things for, for you and for your teammates. And it comes with this extra bonus that if we're reading it well, if we're reading it prayerfully, which I'm praying you are, um, it, we are meditating on it. We are meditating on the Word of God as we get ready to read the Word of God in and for our communities. And so we have this way where we're getting ready to do well, to do to bring God's word in a life-giving way to our community. But while we're getting ready, while we're rehearsing, while we're practicing, we're bringing life to ourselves as we listen to God's word, as we experience a transformation anticipating um, what the transformation might be in our community. And the goal here, again, as we've talked about before, isn't for a perfect, flawless reading. It's for a reading that has as many things cleared out of the way as possible. And we're interested in having as many things cleared out of the way as possible because the human heart can get squirrely when the Spirit of God begins to ask us things. We hear, you must pick up your cross and follow me, and suddenly we're looking for an exit. And then a little mispronunciation becomes an easy exit for an already uneasy heart to check out from a divine invitation for them to come towards life. But let's also be careful we don't swing too far the other way and begin to think of ourselves as more powerful than we are. We're the readers. We're bringing the message forth. We can't make any heart here listen, or respond. All we can do is be attentive to this really important work that we're doing and read in such a way that we don't put any extra barriers up. Well, let's look at our text for this weekend. I invite you to open a Bible to uh, Matthew 10, 24, uh, 24 through 39 is where we're going to be. And let's start by looking at a word here that we might want some help pronouncing, or maybe we want some reinforcement that we're pronouncing it right. And probably what's what's most true is that there's a lot of these um, a lot of these words that we don't use frequently. There are a few different usual ways to pronounce them, <clears throat> and uh, and sometimes you can't win. Sometimes you're going to pronounce it a right way, and someone's going to be like, "That's the wrong way." Um, that's how it works for me with logos and logos. Right? Logos is the right way to say it, but when you say logos. To those who don't know, you sound pretentious. When you say logos, to those who do know, you sound like you are uninformed, that you haven't, you don't know this yet, which just creates this dilemma. And so the best thing that we can do when it comes to, you know, words like this is have a sense of how to read it well. Again, that we've just done, done some work, some prep with it. And so um, verse 25, about halfway through, we bump into the name Beelzebul, Beelzebul. Beelzebul is um, is a name of a Philistine god connected to the town of Ekron. And we bump into Ekron in 1 Samuel 5 and 1 Samuel 6. And the Philistines have defeated the Israelites and they have carried the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Ekron. And I'm reading here from 1 Samuel 5, 9 in the KGV. <clears throat> and it was so that After they had carried it, the Ark of the Covenant, about the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction, and he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had hemorrhoids in their secret parts. And then fast forwarding a chapter from uh, 
to 1 Samuel 6. In 1 Samuel 6, 4, we see that their way out, how they were to be free of the hemorrhoids was they had to make golden hemorrhoids as sort of an offering back to the Lord. And that would be the way upon which they are cured. And um, painful, terrible, horrible, oh my gosh. And I can't help but read this and think God is hilarious. Um, So... Right. But this is who, this is sort of a connection for Beelzebul in the text is to this, um, this story here about those who stole that which was most precious to the community and how they were smote with these really embarrassing, difficult, unclean things that would, you know, make them um, unclean. And so, right. So they, so if they're calling Jesus Beelzebul, this has all of this, this connection to him and, and for him. So you have that. Um, I think next it's really helpful to recognize a couple difficult things about this text that we have that we're reading. Maybe it's best to start out really, really big and just notice that it's going to be difficult to come to an emotional core or emotional center for this text because the text doesn't have any narrative within it. Of course, it's within a narrative, right? The, all of the stuff that comes before it and after it in Matthew. But for what we are reading in our community, it's, it's, a, it's just a succession of statements, um, that become successively difficult, right? By the time we're four verses in, we are on tender, tender territory, right? We begin fairly simply with the disciples being told to be expected to be treated how Jesus is treated, right? If they're going to be terrible to me, they're going to be terrible to you. If they're going to call me Beelzebul, you're going to be little Beelzebul's. Uh, so we start there and then Jesus tells them to not be afraid that, th- that yes, this will happen, but there's more than just these things. Um, and, and instead, instead of being afraid of those who can malign them, be afraid of the one who can kill, uh, who can destroy, not the one who can kill the body, but can kill the soul, the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Now we're just in. We're in difficult space when we read this. And by the way, when we start to read these hard things, we can bring an anxiety to how we read. We can bring a desire to move through them quickly um, or to sort of by way of our tone and how we, you know, position the words to hide the concepts. And I want to urge us to not do that, to trust the Holy Spirit to be present and to bring life through them and trust the liturgy, the thing that is all around this reading to also round out what's being read. So we, we get to that difficult spot and then it gets even more difficult. Jesus says, if you acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge you. If you deny me, I'll deny you. Thereby sort of setting this tone, what does he mean by this? Um, and now we have verse 34, we have the Prince of Peace who says, I haven't come to bring peace to the earth, but I have come to bring a sword. We have the Prince of Peace saying, don't think that I've come to bring peace. But the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill to all. For to us, a child has been born, a son is given. The authority will rest on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father their prince of peace. So now is Jesus calling Isaiah a liar? Like what is happening here? And then he starts to sort of 
work his way into creating divisions between these most intimate and important relationships, the most formational parts of our lives, right? I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his her, her mother, a uh, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And then he just goes for it and says, listen, the, your, the, the, the real foes in your life will be the ones of your own household. And whoever loves those ones more than me isn't worthy Uh, isn't worthy of me. And then sort of the cherry on the top here, he says, you must pick up your cross and follow me. You must pick up this instrument of defeat, of torture, of, of being called a criminal. And, and you must follow me while you, while you, while you carry it. And I, you know, I I don't know which one's going to be the most difficult uh, for you, but this is a difficult text to read. It's, it's not an easy text. And so I just want to, I want to commiserate Uh, about it being a difficult text and also remind us that it's important for us to deal with, to engage with difficult things and to be open to what God might be saying to us through these difficult texts about our life in God. Because scripture, like our lives, has, has difficult things and difficult things that can and do move us forward and, and bring us life, even though we might want to resist or ignore them. So thinking about um, thinking about the emotional center here of the text, what might be best is just to review a few things from our reading and see what feeling comes up for you. And remember, there were there were twelve apostles that that heard these words, which means there's at least twelve emotional responses to these words based on their lives up to this point. So asking us, the reader, to find our own emotional response to the text is deeply faithful to what's happening within the gospel text we've read today. So let's review what happens here, and then you can note your emotional response, and then you can use that to inform how you read it, your tone, your your affect. So let's maybe just take a, a breath. So we think about what it means to be sent. How did these 12 individuals feel that they were being sent? Did they feel entrusted? Did they feel valued? Did they, did they experience some sense of fulfillment that their life had now entered into a next stage of meaning? Perhaps they also were feeling wariness or um, uncertainty, maybe about how they were going to do it, how they could measure up against someone like Jesus. They started thinking about how this hasn't been easy with Jesus and how much more difficult it would be for them without him there with them. What if they began to experience the resistance that they watched Jesus experience? What would they do then? And this is not a a mental exercise for them. This isn't them imagining going out and, and doing these things. This is real life. They're really being sent and there are real life consequences for themselves, from their families, for the people that they love. Uh, real consequences to go in. And Jesus' response is, is to not really combat these concerns they might be having, but instead they're actually affirmed. He says, yes, you're, what you're seeing, what you're wondering about, what you're sensing, as possibilities are real possibilities. In fact, they're more than that. You can trust that what they have done to me, they will do to you. And so he doesn't tell them, right, don't be afraid because it won't happen. He says, don't be afraid because I'm with you. And I want to 
sort of land us here at this beautiful verse that sort of anchors this whole thing right in the middle. Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He doesn't say the sparrows won't fall to the ground and die. He says they will fall to the ground, they will die, we, we, we will experience difficult things. Flight will, will be difficult, there will be some crash landings, but all these things may happen. But it will not happen to you apart from the one who made you. Because even the hairs on your head are counted. So he says, don't be afraid, but not don't be afraid because none of the things you're afraid of may happen. He says, don't be afraid because God will, will be with you and knows you intimately while you walk through all these difficult things. I want to close reading a prayer from Walter Brueggemann from his book, Odd to Heaven, Rooted to Earth, that really pushes us into living courageously in light of our fears, um, recognizing that life has difficult things for us, but that in Christ, with God, we're invited to be different in this world, in this world that God loves, to be loving presence here. It's called Be Our Primary Disease. Be our primary disease and infect us with your justice. Be our night visitor and haunt us with your peace. Be our moth that consumes and eat away our unfreedom. Be our primary disease, our night visitor, our moth. Infect, haunt, eat away. Until we are toward you and with you and for you, away from our injustice, our anti-peace, our unfreedom. More like you and less like your resistance. In the name of the one most like you, most with you, most for you. Even Jesus. Amen, friends. Grace and peace to you.